Did you kill Sharon Knowles? I'm not sure I understand. Don't look away. Look at me. Did you kill Sharon Knowles? What does this have to do with... Did you kill Sharon Knowles? No. Do you love your wife? What is this? Do you love your wife? Of course I do! Have you slept with anyone else since you've been married? Don't look away. Look at me. Have you slept with anyone else since you've been married? No. Will you be loyal to me? Yes. Were you fired from E-Corp? No, I quit. Are you afraid of becoming your father? What? Do you hate your father? Hello, friend. You've got mail. Hello, friend. Welcome to our Mr. Robot podcast. Hey there, Henry. How are you tonight? Good, Margaret. How are things? I don't know. I'm craving Swedish fish. How about you? I was cringing when I saw that on the show just because I could taste them. You know, like sometimes when you look at something, you can actually taste it. And uh, the gelatinous kind of artificial flavor gooiness just doesn't appeal. Oh, you're not a fan of Swedish fish? Oh, well, I must say, I think I had my fair share growing up in Philadelphia. So maybe it was something that I picked up from my family because... I was surrounded by them. I'm kidding. Did the, does it actually come from Sweden? You know what? I looked up the history, and yes, they were originally manufactured in Sweden and brought to the United States in the, in the mid-1900s. Oh, interesting. So what did you think of tonight's episode, Legacy.so, essentially? An interesting backstory that kind of fills in a lot of the blanks in terms of motivation for Terrell and why certain things happen both in season one and season two. Uh, so in terms of providing a much-needed background, I think it's the episode's very significant. I mean, we, I don't know whether I'd buy the motivation there, but um, at least we know that Terrell seems to be motivated by a bromance of sorts with Elliot. He's somehow in his thrall. I mean, definitely he seems like he's certainly in love with him for sure. I just wonder if if it goes beyond that because he's delusional enough to think that they're gods of some kind. And it's almost like the love he has for Elliot is practically religious at times. Yeah, interesting to think about what's the origin of that. Like, was there some sort of relationship between Elliot and Terrell? When the guy was questioning Terrell and asked him, like, had he ever cheated on his wife? And had he always been faithful? I'm just wondering if some of the answers there might hint at the fact that uh, Terrell and Elliot maybe had something going, maybe in conjunction with Joanna. Uh, maybe they had one of their famous threesomes. I guess I would be surprised because they try to make him seem generally uh, afraid of touching most people, except it seems Angela and Shayla. But hey, I wouldn't put it past him, especially if he's in Mr. Robot mode. Then I think Mr. Robot would definitely not pass up that opportunity. <laughs> sure. I mean, if you were trapped inside of Elliot, wouldn't you want to have sex during your, your time in control? I guess, I guess. Uh, I feel like some of the things that I really liked about this episode, and I agree, like part of me was really resisting the feeling of of really of just wanting to get back to the main story, quote unquote. And and yet when I watched it a second time, I felt like they packed in a really 
a whole lot of action and and pacing that was important to the story. The flashbacks I thought were were useful and interesting, although there were certainly ones where I felt I didn't really need to go there again. So I think this was a pretty divisive episode overall. I did love it, like the really moody music this episode. Yeah, the music, I think this season generally has been really on point and something that enhanced the experience. Um, why, why do you say divisive? Is it because of the way it fills in the blanks for people? I think that a lot of people wanted to return to the main story and did not feel that they needed to learn more about Tyrell and his whole plight during and after the 5-9 hack. Oh, well, I mean, if people are going to get upset about that, it's going to be a long season because I have a feeling they're going to do a lot of that as a narrative device this season is go backwards in time um, and fill things in. I think that's going to be par for the course for this season well into the next. Potentially, for sure. And just to give a little bit of background on the title, the title uh, Legacy has obvious implications. And, you know, in computer programming, legacies can be both good things and bad things, right? Like you can have legacy bugs or or legacy software, and sometimes that implies outdated or dysfunctional. So it isn't always a good thing. Thing. Obviously, legacy can mean more positive things. And I think we saw a lot of Tyrell's kid in the show or baby in the show. And the .so file extension that's in the title is something that's used to talk about files that share a common library when they're written in C and C++ language, for example. And so it lets more than one program use the same code base. So there you have it. Yeah. And I wonder if they're being kind of direct on their play with words where the legacy will be their legacy um, in the sense that their legacy code, their code that becomes the legacy of the system uh, in effect becomes the legacy of the people coding it, whether it's Elliot or Terrell or the people whose code they're taking advantage of and their exploits. Very good point. There were lots of those kinds of puns and instances of mirroring, even if you consider the relationship between Tyrell and Elliot. I guess we learned in this in this point in the story that Tyrell hates his father and doesn't want to be like his father. So that's new information. And that leads me to wonder, well, who's his father and do we care? Or, or is it just kind of proffered as a way to explain like the femdom kind of tendencies that he has, right? Like this is why he's uh, someone who allows himself to be cuckolded, in a sense, by his his wife and makes the kind of decisions that he does. Like, maybe it's an attempt to provide some psychological cover. Well, I definitely think he thinks that he's not adequate enough to go back to Joanna. It's pretty sad, that aspect of it, knowing that she's dead. I mean, they did seem sort of like the perfect couple. They're kind of like Drusilla and Spike from Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Like, they go very well together and... Uh, as a team goes, they they were pretty united up until jo- Joanna was extremely disappointed and um, turned. But it'll be interesting to see if we find out who Tyrell's father is. And uh, what did you think about the story in general? It opened up with the flashback to 5-9, and we discover Irving's been in the scene since the beginning. Yeah, I mean, the way that... It kind of weaves in both season one, season two into uh, this story here. 
I thought it was it was interesting. I don't necessarily uh, agree with the way that the holes were filled in in terms of Terrell's motivations and some of the other stuff. But uh, I thought it was interesting. I mean, I think part of my impatience with season two is a feeling that we were kind of running in quicksand or in the mud. And this season has definitely, I think, been the opposite of that. Like I felt like there's always a lot to process and digest happening in each episode. Yeah, so we did learn important things in the flashbacks, and especially with this intro part where the 5-9 hack was taking place. But we get the sense that the Dark Army is basically behind everything, right? I mean, there isn't anything they're not pulling the strings of. And it has very interesting parallels, don't you think, to what's going on contemporaneously in our no, world. Yeah, I, I thought it was really nice how they kind of weaved in the election of Trump to White Rose and his plots uh, and plans. I thought that was really well done. And I wonder how long, if at all, uh, tr- President Trump will become aware of this. You know, I mean, I think Mr. Robot may be a little bit outside of his, uh, his, his worldview. I think it's probably past his bedtime, but maybe he watches Mr. Robot. I hope I never know. It, it is really brilliant, though, how they weave him in. And I guess this is set in 2015 when he was gearing up. And I'm glad that it's being so directly exposed how these, these you know, some call it uh, – the deep state, some people call it the Illuminati, some call it multinational corporations, but uh, our political leaders in a lot of ways to a lot of people are, I guess, are having their strings pulled by people we don't even know exist. Maybe aliens, just kidding. <laughs> I, I think all these forms of media and new media form ways to reach people, influence them, and increasingly that means of influence is up for sale like did you hear that story about that british pr firm that basically uh got shamed and imploded because they were revealed to have been behind some political shenanigans in uh south africa did you hear about this no i'll have to to send you the details later um but basically it was revealed that they had uh been a doing paid work for uh this particular political party that was not uh, seen as something that reputable companies would be involved with. Uh, so, you know, the way that in which, like, if you follow some of the Trump stuff, uh, Cambridge Analytica was paid a lot of money because it was able to deliver the election. And what does that really mean? It means that you're able to influence what people think and feel and get them to do something at the end of the day, right? And that's uh, increasingly, like, under the purview of data scientists and other kind of people, um, but it's kind of still a shady thing if you think about it at the end of the day. Oh, it's very shady for so many reasons. We could probably spend the whole night talking about it for sure. The way that people can game an AI. I mean, well, you know, if you make video games, that's one common player attribute. You'll always have some people who play your games or use your software who, who try to break it or game the system or use it to their own advantage and look for those exploits. And that's certainly what is happening with our social network platforms. I like that Mr. Robot sort of brings us to light narratively. And, and a related thing that was in the news today was 
Twitter admitting that its user numbers were inflated. Um, it, I saw something on uh, CNN uh, Money Report. And people immediately on Twitter kind of seized on that news and said, this explains why they haven't track, cracked down on the bots and the other trolls, is that they need the user numbers. Like if you know uh, there are millions of fake bot accounts and there's all this activity being generated by these bots, Twitter isn't necessarily in a position to hunt down and turn off those accounts if it's really going to affect growth numbers, for instance. So the theory goes. Those numbers, like you're saying, are built on fake accounts, bot accounts, dead accounts. I think what's the issue is the advertising money that's been built around and that whole ecosystem and the analytics ecosystems and that's spun up around it. So like moving a video game is just the same as moving a tube of toothpaste. It's just a different kind of product. So much of that inventory and those clicks are fueled by, I think, smoke and mirrors. So... There you have it. Yeah. I mean, there was this recent lawsuit involving uh, an agency and Uber. Did you hear about this, Margaret, where the where Uber ended up suing the agency, saying that it had evidence that the installs the agency was claiming was actually organic traffic that the company was getting anyway. If you think about how things like my personal pet peeve, internet retargeting works, it's really insidious. It's like this self-cannibalizing system. And for those of you who haven't been exposed to internet retargeting consciously, 99% of us who surf the web, if you ever notice, if you go on Amazon and you search for maybe a pair of brown socks and you think about it, maybe you add them to your wish list or you get distracted and then go to read the LA Times maybe or look at Pinterest. And then all of a sudden you start seeing ads for the same brown socks or same pair of socks that you looked at that you wanted to shop for. That's internet retargeting. Anyway, maybe you have a better way of explaining it, Henry. <laughs> no, I mean, I think... <laughs> <laughs> That's explained very well. Like uh, people speculate whether Facebook, for instance, uses audio that its app hears for the purposes of doing retargeting and targeting, where people say that they were talking about something with their friend and all of a sudden these ads show up in their Facebook feed. And it's like, wow, like it was listening in on my conversation. Whereas I think probably the more correct answer, but equally spooky, is that somehow the data that Facebook has is able to predict that that conversation might have taken place and that you should be seeing that ad. If you use Gmail, your emails are being scanned for keywords. It actually happened to my aunt. She was served up a notice of a memorial service for someone in my family. They weren't related, but they were close to the family and they were missing in action in Vietnam. And she was shown a memorial for him, a memorial service. And nobody could figure out how Facebook knew that she would want to see that notice. Pretty creepy, right? Pretty um, creepy. Yeah. And so uh, a question about what kind of data you want to expose. Like if this is the kind of data that's being used for the purposes of serving you an advertisement, imagine what kind of data could be available for more insidious purposes or for more, uh, you know, vital reasons you know i even think the innocent things like if you want to take it like full-on dystopian which hey i mean we're talking about mr robot even innocent things like i like avocado toast that can be used against you in a million kinds of ways now that's really pushing it i'm in the realm of science fiction if any information that you give so i don't like 
really hot weather, stuff like that, which I'm not saying is true that I really think that, but giving up those data points about yourself, it builds a picture of your strengths and vulnerabilities. Yeah. And you've heard about the TSA's uh, requirements that people visiting the United States from overseas now have to turn over like social media information, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, and, And so what I think becomes interesting, and I think this is related to something that I heard about how young people have what they call a Finsta account, which is a fake Instagram account with this idea that their uh, Instagram account is shared publicly with their uh, families and friends and their peers, while they have this secret Instagram account where only like their close trusted uh, circle have access to. And I think this will increasingly happen with adults. And as these young people become adults, they're going to carry this practice into this world where if you're having to turn over your social media information for purposes of visiting a country, because I'm sure other countries will start doing this in reciprocity to US citizens visiting them, probably going to create another account or set of accounts that you're then going to hand over when you're asked to hand this over. And then just taking a step further, what's the government going to do in response? They're going to criminalize having a second non-official account. They're going to force you to have an account of record, right? And that quickly then reveals its Orwellian nature. Like that's pretty terrible. And But you can see how close we can we are to getting there in some respects. Yeah, and it's funny. So China, there, it was in the news a few years ago, I mean, just a few years ago, nobody's heard anything from China ever since. Just kidding. Uh, But I read something a few years ago was going around that they were implementing, the government was implementing a social credit system. And, And while it has been implemented to some extent, the full extent of it and the design of it has been changed a lot because it was felt that if it was, if it was implemented and rolled out the way they originally thought, it would have impeded the free market structures that are being promoted there currently. And so it's been made more, I wouldn't want to say lax, but maybe distributed in terms of how much weight certain things are given in terms of how much it impacts certain things you can do, like advance through society and keep your job or get a promotion or be considered for favorable terms for a house, for example. And that's just the publicly acknowledged use of the score. Like you can bet that there's going to be use of the score that will never be publicly publicly uh, uh, like recorded, for instance, like high security positions or positions within the government, they probably won't announce that you have to have a certain score but it's highly unlikely that someone with a low score is going to be there. That's very true. And, you know, I'll never forget when I was in Leipzig several years back at this point. Leipzig is in Germany. It was in the part that used to be East Germany. So there's still plenty of people around who remember what life was like in East Germany before reunification. And our taxi driver, he was a real trip this one time. He basically explained in his own way that East Germany had its own social credit system of sorts. It was, wasn't uh, as high tech as, as we might find these days, but he definitely said that things like access to good health care would be withheld if you were a troublemaker and you had certain files on you. Whereas if you were a good citizen, it was much easier to get certain services. Yeah. And so you can imagine China definitely moving in that direction where, hey, if you need a kidney transplant, well, you know, sorry, your score isn't good enough. And you can actually justify it with a lot of very academic uh, utilitarianism, right? Where you argue that it's for the good of society, given finite resources, 
that you allocate resources to the people who most benefit society. That's a scary thing. It is. And, you know, I've actually gotten into a huge debate with somebody. They feel that even healthcare access should be rationed, that how could we possibly support keeping people on life support forever and ever and ever? And I understand there are many dimensions of that once you start getting into who deserves to live more than others. It's, I don't know, I rather err on the side of obviously reducing human suffering, but also not judging whose life is worth more than others. Well, I mean, it's also, it's also to me unsustainable that you have that system of healthcare in a country where you don't have access to ways to end your life. You don't have access to adequate care and you don't have access to like things that they have like in Switzerland where you can choose to end your life. What are you supposed to do? I don't know, get really high medical bills in, in the U.S. of A until something gets fixed. Well, uh, what, and, and Margaret, what happens with high medical bills, right? Oftentimes, it's a way for corporations and banks to take hold of people's homes and properties. Like increasingly, you have people doing reverse mortgages or their estates go to settle medical expenses. And so they're children and descendants don't get that inheritance. They're not able to afford property and homes because all the land in their area is being bought up by wealthy people or by private equity funds or things like this. And you have people increasingly giving up their property for healthcare's sake and it being used to transfer wealth to the rich. Ugh. I don't know. What do you think is going to happen? Do you think it's going to keep going this way or? Um, I, I think it depends on if a, if there is a high impact, low probability event that sets off a chain of scenarios or circumstances. Like recently when we had the hurricanes and then the fire in Northern California, you could see how if there was an earthquake or two in California, really big ones around the same time, it would be really difficult for the federal government and the state government to respond to all of that at the same time, you know? And so you could imagine if there was certain scenarios or circumstances where a, a certain number of things happened to the system at the same time, you could actually see something of a breakdown, right? Where if, let's say, the stock market started to go down because people lost confidence in Trump and the political stability, and then something happened that affected the bond market, and then something happened with Puerto Rico that caused investors and bondholders to freak out, and then let's say there was some sort of violence viral outbreak or epidemic. If all of those things happen at the same time, you know, you can imagine like property prices dropping. Like you can imagine a series of kind of snowballing events that might be really hard to recover from. Yeah, I can see it pretty easily. And I wonder if Tyrell saw it when he was in his little hideaway somewhere in the town of Stockton. I, I thought, is that Stockton, California? Or was it a fictional town in New York State? It doesn't really matter. But Tyrell was chopping wood and getting life coach lessons from Irving. And I don't know, it was interesting to see him unravel, but I could have honestly done it without it. What do you think? I mean, it's... I think in the past episode, we talked about the hero's journey, right? Where all these kind of great myths and stories have this common journey that the hero takes, where they have to kind of go on this transformative adventure. And I think a lot of, especially men, resonate with these stories that have the the hero, the character go and do some training or do some sort of preparation to then go out and uh, fight his battle. Um, whether it's, you know, Rocky training and running up the steps, or it's Luke's 
Skywalker uh, messing around with the lightsaber. In this particular instance, it's Terrell with an axe, which I don't know how useful that is, um, but also doing a lot of planning and uh, scheming, right? Uh, we see a lot of evidence that he's actually doing a fair amount of research on what Evil Corp is going to be doing so they can plan out phase two accordingly and set the stage for uh, his work with Elliot when he gets out of prison. Do you think Terrell is a true psychopath? Uh, yeah. I think I think uh, Elliot also obviously has issues. And I think what what's maybe being shown on the screen is that sometimes you just have this really weird click that happens with someone else. And sometimes if both of you are crazy, that click is even stronger, you know? Mm-hmm. Just compatible kind of crazy. So my favorite scenes really involved anything with Irving in it. I, I have to say, I know he's a certain kind of character, but there are just so many endearing things. Like I did a took a screenshot of his his novel that he's writing, Beach Towel, and it's this sort of steamy, sexy pulp novel. It looks like, and I was trying to see what Irving was watching on television, and and I know he was listening to an audio book by Gore Vidal. So. Bobby Cannavale. Yeah, and one from a particular kind of time or era, right? To me, like, he seems like kind of like this 70s to 80s kind of character. Like, definitely doesn't seem like a New Yorker from, like, the 2000s, to me, anyway. <laughs> no, I mean, there are definitely still people in New York who exist who are like that. I <laughs> He reminds me of this guy I met a couple months ago in New York. I like how he is able to socially manipulate just about anyone. Oh, yeah, where he kind kind of tells uh, Terrell uh, that line about coming home to his wife and two kids and, you know, how his boys were taken away from him. And, you know, it's quickly revealed in that scene with his uh, colleague at the car dealership that he has no kids and we actually then see him uh eating his dinner at home and what it actually looks like and it's him by himself watching reality tv on television uh, working on his novel um you know with sad kind of thrift store art on the walls like that's his life oh that's right he was watching big brother right yep so interesting, interesting that, you know, like every psychopath, every uh, story has some element of truth to it as an anchor. And for him, it was the, the show Big Brother. And I like the pun on it being Big Brother, right? As in Orwell, an Orwellian. Yeah, exactly. And then what did you think of Mr. Williams, the actor Wallace Shawn, who played Mr. Williams? He was the one who was saying to Tyrell... Did you kill Sharon Knowles? Do you love your wife? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I immediately, when I saw him, I was like, the guy from Princess Bride. Awesome. Yeah. He was in so many different movies. And I didn't notice this right away. I saw this on some online reviews. But everyone pointed out how he was made to look like the F Society character. Oh, yeah. Very true. Very true. That's a really interesting point. Yeah, that's that's great. My favorite scenes, of course, always involved White Rose and Grant, the assistant, I guess, in this case. Because first of all, White Rose is so harsh to that assistant. I feel so bad for him. And he's got to go get some Rosetta Stone and on top of everything else. Yeah, but you know those scenes with White Rose and his colleague, they don't strike me as too outlandish or unfamiliar from like an Asian business standpoint. You know, that's yeah. the crazy thing is I can look at it and be like, yeah, I can see that kind of happening. You know, like, he's, you know, I, I've seen crazier things in the business world in Asia, for sure. I hear you. And I loved 
White Rose's house. That was such a beautiful place. I could see myself living there, couldn't you? Well, I mean, he's evidently got an island that's not even on Google Maps, which makes you think, like, how does that work? How do you actually take a cease and desist or, like, a takedown notice for an island? You know, like, I know that there's a process if you get caught up in Google Street View, but what do you do if you're like, I just want my island removed from Google Maps? Thank you. Yeah, totally. If you're working on that level, maybe there's a way. I wonder if Richard Branson's island is is obscured yeah like do you have to send like for for yourself to be removed you have to send a copy of your driver's license and some identification do you if you if it's an island do you have to send like your deed uh you know like your your bill of sale what, what do you have to send that's a good question there was something else that the whole mr williams interaction with Terrell reminded me of. First of all, people pointed out that the Red Wheelbarrow was written by William Carlos Williams, and this is Mr. Williams. So there's that. But it reminded me of a Scientology sort of e-meter session. Yeah. And to me, this session kind of rang a little bit, um, a little bit hollow or kind of thin, just the idea that by asking someone repeatedly the same set of questions while water's boiling in the back, background and you're sniffing heroin or some sort of other substance you can get them to break down <laughs> it's uh, i i just found that a little bit far-fetched like really uh, that's what made him break down you just ask the question repeatedly in different ways i think it was for two reasons it was the boiling teapot and the fact that mr williams did not share his cocaine with terrell just kidding <laughs> yeah obviously the cruelest form of psychological torture known to man right <laughs> so- <laughs> just just made him break like a little boy that was really upsetting but also annoying i just wanted to say teapots are so in style right now and there was a lot of tea and teapot reference in this episode and david lynch's revival of twin peaks had a teapot figuring very prominently for part of that season and I just feel like it's very in, I don't know why, I'm seeing lots of references right now. And I thought of David Lynch in that one moment where Terrell wakes up and goes in the living room and those two guys are sitting there with the masks on. Very kind of Twin Peak kind of moment to me. Yeah, because the cartoon they were watching, and again, I was trying to figure out what was that cartoon, what 80s cartoon was that? Look. The masks uh, that they were wearing looked like the characters in the cartoon and there was nice mirroring and it it was something I would see uh, David Lynch do now that I'm back in David Lynch's world, having go- watched Twin Peaks and Firewalk with me and all that stuff recently. And uh, that makes me, that reminds me actually of the opening shot was amazing. The one that was following above the car and then it kind of drops down um, I think it must have been taken by a drone of some sort, but that was just an amazing opening shot. Did you catch that? I did. And I and I wondered a few times during this particular episode if they were using drones for some of the shots. It's it's amazing how much drones have taken taken over. No, how much they're used now in film and television. This time last year, definitely not as much. Yeah. Um, I think we'll be seeing a lot more of that, but it's it's just a great kind of 
visual style. Uh, it kind of reminded me of a Hitchcock film, the way that it kind of opened. I, I agree. And so the only other thing, I mean, you know, we got to see Elliot and Tyrell reunited and how Tyrell was so excited about all of that. And that poor police officer just should have just kept walking, you know, issued a few traffic tickets, avoided that whole situation. But I do, I do like the character of Frank Cody, who's clearly modeled after a Sean Hannity type or a, an Al, even an Alex Jones. I like that he, they made him low key versus bombastic. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I uh, what do you, what do you like most about the character? Well, a lot of shows have tried to sort of do their spin on Alex Jones, and and you know who Alex Jones is, right? Yes. So I have the terrible confession to make. I've known about him for, oh my gosh, for so many years. And I used to tell my friends, oh my gosh, you have to listen to this guy. He's says the wackiest things. I didn't really listen to him regularly, but I would say, oh my gosh, this guy is a riot. And he was featured in the movie A Scanner Darkly. So the first time Alex Jones was represented in popular media, he was playing himself on A Scanner Darkly. And then there was a point, maybe when he got to be best buddies with Roger Stone, I don't know, he kind of changed. Not that he was ever somebody you would get your news from, you know what I'm saying? But there was a, a tone shift and I have to wonder if that's when his strings were being pulled. So I guess I like the Frank Cody character because I think it shows how folks like Alex Jones, in my opinion, and Sean Hannity, and you know, a lot of folks who have interests right at work are used as puppets. Yeah, so true. I mean, people don't necessarily decide to sell their souls. It just kind of happens through a series of decisions that they make that they have bad choices to choose from they don't have any good good ones yeah no kidding well did you want to talk about anything else that happened in this episode i mean we got some cisco and darlene yawn (laughs) i I was just really kind of excited to move past this you know i felt like this episode and kind of touching on what happened and exploring these things was going to come up anyway. So I was happy to see that they didn't drag it on. My fear, I think, was that they would drag it on through this entire season. But it seems like they've kind of gotten it out of the way. And so I'm excited to see the episodes left. I think there's going to be a lot of things happening between the Dark Army, Philip Price, Ecor, Darlene, Angela, the people of the FBI. I think all these different threads are going to start intersecting in really interesting ways. It's time that we move into our special segments. The first one is, which would you choose? Yeah, which would you choose, Margaret, for relaxation in the evening, reality TV or sports? All right, so you're going to be surprised with my answer, sports. Really? And is that because you hate reality TV so much? No, I sort of love the idea of reality TV, and I've definitely watched it in the past, but I think sports is a purer form. Oh, interesting. I am surprised by your answer. Um, I would choose sports as well. Uh, yeah, I was overseas during a lot of the rise of reality television, and I'm still just baffled at how the Kardashians have taken over this country. It's like if aliens had come from outer space and implanted a certain segment of the U.S. population with a brain-altering bug, it would be more explainable to me than the Kardashians and their rise to prominence. The Kardashians and the whole reality TV craze. I think we, and by we, I mean the United States, we inherited a lot of that from the UK. A lot of early reality TV shows 
are brought over first from the UK. A lot of the hyper-partisanship and a lot of the kind of aggressive media strategy that's being used in this country was first used in the UK. Um, if you think about like how uh, kind of tabloid sensationalist our politics has become, that's very much where I think Britain was... Uh, maybe a decade ago. So we both chose sports. So should I give you my which would you choose? Yeah. All right, I'll do one that's rooted in the tech world. How about Lyft versus Uber? Ah, I like that one. So I was a longtime user of both services. I think recently I've become uh, partial to Lyft because I don't want to support some of the things that I think Uber represents now. Um, yeah, so I would say Lyft, but if Lyft is like twice as expensive than Uber, then I'll probably take Uber. Okay. All right. Good answer. So I was a longtime user of Uber and then I ended up stopping that. And I was first concerned when I saw how they were using their administrative tools like Godview, for example, yeah. To, uh, yeah, to track journalists and people they wanted to keep tabs on. And and so I switched to Lyft and Lyft just got a huge investment from Alphabet and that bodes well. Whereas uh, Uber's investors, well, investor uh, benchmark through Bill Gurley is suing them <laughs> and their former CEO. So I think the wind is behind Lyft more. Yeah. And Lyft actually might end up doing its IPO before Uber, which if you would have asked people a couple years ago, if that would be the case, I think most people would say no. Yeah. But I do like the Uber cars a lot more. They, they generally feel a little bit fancier. That's okay. I'll use Lyft for the time being. At least Lyft doesn't have those stupid pink mustaches that they used to have. Oh, God. And the fist bump. The fist bump really kept me away. Like, I really did not want to fist bump and sit in the front seat. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds so hilarious when you think about it. Like, they did what? They put pink mustaches on their cars? <laughs> like, really? Yeah. That's true. Our listeners might not know that. In the early days of Lyft, they had these giant pink mustaches made of fun fur that they would hang on the front of their car. It looked like a big, I don't know, silly parade float. <laughs> it basically tried to turn your car into something out of the movie Cars by Pixar, right? Like <laughs> your, your, your car is now an extension of the Pixar family. Like now you got a mustache, give your car a name, hop on board, beep, beep. That's right. And then you were supposed to sit in the front seat as a way to differentiate it from Uber, it was a little more informal. And when you got out of the car, you were supposed to fist bump with your driver. And I was just like, okay, I'm not an unfriendly person, but. <laughs> I draw the line at fist bumps. No way. I draw the line at the fist bump. You know, I want to give the fist bump when I feel it's appropriate. But anyway, I love you, Lyft and Uber. Woohoo, Hong Kong. <laughs> Oh, gosh. Nice. All right, Margaret. And then also want to talk about my word for the week. Uh, my word for the week is bromance because I have not really seen a bromance like the one between Elliot and Terrell. It's true. I would like to see even more of a bromance between Elliot and Terrell blossom over time. Elliot's reluctant and is fixated on Angela, but once he discovers how much Angela has been dogging him left and right, who knows to whom he'll turn? Elliot, that is. 
is. Uh, I hope the fan fiction community goes crazy with that scenario. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Did you like how I easily wrote that one? I'm like, next, next page. No, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> and, and may the writers go to work. Like, I'm sure they'll come up with something that fills in the blanks. <laughs> and then zombies. <laughs> oh, gosh, I have to choose one word. All right. Ooh, I, I thought of a two word, but that's not fair. All right. Tea. Yeah. So recently, I started drinking matcha green tea. I got matcha powder and I started making tea. So a very uh, appropriate word, Margaret. Irving inspired me and Mr. Williams inspired me with the teapot maneuver and David Lynch inspired me with the steampunk teapot that was in the, the Red Lodge. So I, I am all about the, the tea, the tea romance this time. And then do you have any predictions? Huh, I was going to ask you about uh, predictions. I don't know. You go first. Let me think. Well, I was having a hard time understanding why it was so important to keep Tyrell around. Elliot could have probably handled everything on his own, but I guess he seems integral to the plan. And now that they know Tyrell is unwaveringly loyal to Elliot, that doesn't really bode very well for Tyrell's long-term survival. So that's my prediction. Mm. So I, I have a prediction. I think... Either Elliot or Torrell will find some sort of way to undermine Ecoin, and that will be uh, a big plot pivot in the show, is their quest to undermine Ecoin. But I think if you think about it, it's like, well, what kind of other thing can they do to hurt Ecor? Like, they've already destroyed all their files. Like, what else can the hackers do? And this whole Ecoin sort of plot line... To me, they're only creating it so that they have something to destroy or, or make vulnerable. I do think that's a good guess, especially when Tyrell finds out that his wife is dead. He is going to flip out like nobody's yeah. business. Yeah, and he's going to blame e uh, Evil Court for it. Yes, he will. And and rightfully so, maybe. You never know. Um, but, but pushing Joanna into having to make all of those extreme moves, for sure, they were responsible. I noticed... A couple things. So I wish I had been checking my email that I used for to sign up for ecoin.com, e-coin.com, because it's it's run through the USA network and they were giving away Amazon Echoes, Henry. But free. but think about what you're saying, Margaret. They were giving out listening devices uh, for free. Like, do you really need an NSA listening device in your home? Oh, I was just sorry. I was just channeling Elliot there. <laughs> that sounds really cool. No, you're right. You're right. And in fact, there's an Alexa skill that was released, 5-9 daily, that if you say, Alexa, what's the 5-9? She says, hello, friend. And then it's, a, I guess, an, an alternate reality for Alexa that will tell you what today's news is in the world of the post-5-9 hack. Hey, just listening to the news sounds like an alternate reality game these days. I will look forward to getting back to, quote-unquote, the main story. This was a good one. Lots happened. We saw that Agent Santiago is a crooked guy, so no wonder why he's such a jerk. And he's low on the totem pole there. We learned that Leon likes to kill Nazis. So good stuff happened, and... I look forward to talking more and hearing from everyone. 
at the hello friend podcast at gmail.com. That's where we can be reached. Anyway, Henry, thanks for everything. I hope you have a great night. I'll talk to you next week. Yeah, thanks, Margaret. Uh, I hope next week they don't do another flashback. (laughs) (laughs) And I don't really need to see any more of Cisco. We're done. (laughs) We're done. We're done. On that note, we're done. We're done. Take care, everybody. Bye, Henry. Alexa, play my messages. One message from mom. Honey, what's going on there? Are you okay? Alexa, give me the Daily Five Nine. Productivity was at a standstill today as blackouts continue to plague New York. Corporations are estimating revenue losses in the tens of millions and climbing. So far, no one has claimed responsibility. Alexa, give me the Daily Five Nine. Hello, friend.